1: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes,
2: folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, Mr. Kelly. Yes. Are you still here? Yes. (laughs) I see you looking at something.
3: I am keeping up on the latest news.
2: (laughs) And weather. Man. Weather,
3: it's pouring.
2: Right. It's pouring and thunder and lightning both.
3: Yeah. That's a good way to wake up. A little bit of that, hear that roll over and call Mike Miller. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> right.
3: 436 7900 925 1120
2: Man, you're fast. So when it rains this hard, does it is it problematic for you to get to, into your driveway and everything?
3: No, not okay. usually. Oh, uh, every good. now and then, my neighbor has real troubles because he has a rock, a long gravel driveway, and when it rains like this, it's out in the street. Ooh. So he'll probably be out with his tractor trying to fix his driveway. <laughs> Our driveway is so far so good. Our yard gets to be a swamp, the front yard especially. Sure. Because we don't have much grass. And so it just (laughs) swamps, and it's just a mess.
2: So you can go out with boots and splash around in the mud. You have to, yes.
3: Actually, this is kind of funny. Last night I went out to, uh, well, it's a long story, but I went out the back door real quick, and I heard some rustling underneath our, uh, our grills. I thought, what was that? So I went in, got the flashlight, and I looked out, and I can see this little bald tail sticking out. Apparently, we had a possum who was sheltering from the rain (laughs) under the grill. So this morning when I left for work, I turned on the light. I was like, I hope he's not going to come and attack me. You know what I call them? I call them Stan. Really? Because they are the ugliest critters out there, especially when they're wet, right? Opossum, right? Reminds me of Stan Kroenke.
2: Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, that yes. was painful. So I I name every possum
3: I see, especially the dead ones. That's Stan.
2: Oh man, yeah. you're brutal. I know. <laughs> well, thanks sure. for that insight <laughs> more yes, than you folks, asked for. As Brian said, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. On Saturday mornings we get together and we have this discussion about what's going on in your backyard and your front yard like Brian said his front yard is a swamp right now so ankle deep in mud how about that side yard where the water comes down the downspouts and then shoots out into the middle of the yard and the neighbors is matching and it's like a river in between our two houses so anyway specialty garden space a taste of the tropics how are your house plants doing What is potting mix and how to improve your soils? Don't improve your soils when it's like this. It's way too wet. Pruning, shearing, getting rid of those bugs and diseases by just keeping things cleaned up this time of year. Wow. Pardon me for just a second. It is pouring so hard I can barely see a huge building that's about a block and a half away from us. I mean, it's almost like fog as the rain so thick. But anyway, enough of that. And uh, remember, my decisions, my thoughts, my whatevers is to help you solidify your options and make that final judgment on what direction you would prefer to go. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. And a a very important player in this game is Alex. Alex is back after being off last week. And he's producing. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consultations, which I call walk and talks. If you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look at your landscape from an aesthetic problem-solving standpoint, or if you'd like to give a gift, I have gift certificates I can email you, and I can put the name of the person, your name, and the person you're giving it to on the gift certificate. So anyway, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, email, and phone number is on the homepage. And I've written five gardening books two are currently available at various locations. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The bare naked trees were really glistening this morning with all the raindrops that were hanging on. Fallen leaves along the curb were pushed out into the street by the flowing waters. Light streaks across the water. Soft glow of a yellow-orange light really highlights the architectural style of this particular building. The sound of water. No, 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 it's not rain. It's the fountain in the lake. And uh, that's right across from the boathouse. This is the Carondelet Park boathouse. Bald cypress trees, they still had some needles that were hanging on. And they had been limbed up recently. I don't know exactly when, but you can tell by the cut that it was pretty fresh within the last couple of weeks. Puddles were covering part of the sidewalks. The boxwoods, yes, they were sitting there going, ooh, it is really wet. And uh, butted Evergreen, viburnums were saying the very same thing. The oakleaf hydrangeas, they still have... Almost full leafed out and with really pretty good color still on them too. Those were running along the east foundation of the boathouse at Crondallat Park, and uh, the sidewalk as you look down towards the lake curves and heads towards two pavilions and then wraps around the lake. If you'd like to walk the whole way around, and the the keystone arches with the uh, of the building of the boathouse really makes this historic building really very unique and outstanding. A uh, tree-lined walkway where the exfoliating bark were going, oh, my goodness gracious. The flag was so wet, it could barely wiggle in this morning breeze. And though it was still quite dark, the birds were out around and trying to figure out, we need to get something to eat because we had so much rain yesterday, we couldn't get out to get some meat. So I headed back towards my car, and then the, <laughs> the ducks that hang around the fishing dock Uh, Where They were quacking, saying, you better get moving because it's going to rain soon. It didn't rain this morning during my walk, which I was glad for that. But it definitely is raining right now. So be careful if you're going out yourself. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages.
1: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: All right. Folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns? How about your yard? How wet is it? It is really wet. I don't know what part of town you live in, but like I said, down here by the Soldiers Memorial, it is absolutely pouring. It's unbelievable because we can tell by looking at the streetlights how much water is coming down out of the sky. Let's head over to Denny's yard first and see what's going on there. Hi, Denny.
4: Hey, Mike. I got a question. I cleaned out my front uh, flower bed, cut down the plants and everything, and I use wood chip uh, clippings for mulch, and I'd like to add some more. Is now the time to do it, or should I wait until spring?
2: No, no. Add?
4: I want to add about two inches.
2: Now, have these been composted, or is this stuff that you got from Amron or somebody from the chipper trucks?
4: No, it's a uh, Home Depot, you know, in the bag. Okay, Those so
2: th- it's real stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can put it down now. Just don't get it too deep because, you know, if these are plant, herbaceous-type plants, perennials and things like that, you only want one to two inches over the top of that. Once it gets deeper than that, it can cause problems from holding moisture in and, you know, causing the plants a little bit of trouble pushing forward when springtime rolls around. So just, Okay,
4: is it okay to put it, put it over the plant or should I put it around and leave the plant, you know, without any on it?
2: know uh, you can put it over the plant, just not—that's where the problem comes. If you get it too deep, the, some of the plants are just not strong enough to push up through. So that's where the trouble comes in. But okay. if you're keeping the depth correct, then you should be fine.
4: And I can do it now? Yes. Okay, thank you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's—the um, ground still is still not totally cool, but we had that one cool spell. Generally, you want to wait till the ground starts cooling, but with the way the trees have dropped so many leaves recently— to me, it's not only air temperatures, it's ground temperatures and everything else. That indicates that, uh, you know, the ground is cool enough to put some fresh mulch down. So, Monty lives in Collinsville. Hi, Monty.
5: Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, I have an older ash tree. It's about 35 years old. It's a purple mountain ash, beautiful tree. Mm-hmm. But here in the last couple years, I've noticed a lot of roots breaking the surface that I never did see before. Uh, in several different places. Uh, Can you tell me what that's
2: all about? That's called aging. Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) It's kind of like like wrinkles on
2: on a face. So the, the trees, depending upon what type of soil and everything else, generally ash trees don't have a whole lot of surface roots, But probably your soil might be a little bit heavy-duty type clay, and that's why the surface roots are showing as, you know, the roots are getting bigger, and uh, it really has nothing to do with health or anything else.
5: Okay. Well, it's like varicose veins
2: then, huh? Exactly.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Somebody mentioned that uh, freezing and thawing will push roots to the surface. Is that true?
2: Well... Quite not, well, I guess it is kind of, but that's yeah. not something that you know is really going to cause this to happen.
5: I'll put it to aging. Now. Well, thank you very much yes. for your information.
2: Well, great. Well, thank you. And if anybody Bye. else has any questions or concerns, 314 436 7900 or 1 eight hundred 925 1120. Let's take a you know a brief look at soil testing. This is the time of year where it's better to get you know, you don't want to go out right now, obviously. Or you don't want to go out when, you know, a couple days from now while the ground soils are still really wet to take samples to get the te- you know, soil test done. And realize that soil fertility fluctuates throughout the entire grow- growing season. And the quantity and the availability of nutrients in the soil is altered by you know, whether, or putting organic matter into the soil, whether you're putting any kind of fertilizers down, whether you're putting lime or sulfur, or just natural leaching when we have horribly strong rains like we've had last yesterday and today. So uh, nutrients can really be removed from the soil by the majority. If you have plant material, there is the uptake by the plant material. So that keeps your plants healthy. But a soil test will help determine nutrient and fertility status. And this you know provides information needed to maintain optimum fertility year after year after year. You should probably take a soil test every two to three years. That would be ideal. And uh, the, as I said before, the best time to take a soil sample is in the fall. In the springtime, there is so much activity going on that uh, your results may not get, get to you in time. And uh, a couple things. Uh, most turf grasses, so in other words, lawns, fescues, bluegrasses, zoises, the majority of annual flowers and perennial flowers, ornamental shrubs, vegetables, and fruits, really they like their soil slightly acidic. So when somebody tells you that you could or you should be putting lime down without taking a soil test, that is absolutely wrong, especially on your lawn, because lawn really likes a You know, like I just said, slightly acidic soil. So that is really important that you don't do that. So routinely putting lime down, you're causing or it could cause some major problems with your soil nutrient level because it can bind up the nutrients chemically and make it so that your lawn can't even uptake nutrients, even if you're putting fertilizer down. So just keep that in mind and get a soil test done every like I said, every two to three years. Let's head to South County and see what's going on with John. Hi, John.
6: Hi, Mike. Happy happy rainy morning.
2: <laughs> Very.
6: Hey, I got an interesting question. I, some years ago, I had some trees along the, between the sidewalk and the street, and they, they were taken down. And uh, being the South Side Dutch, I didn't have the stumps ground. So I planted some liriope around the bottom of those trees, Some uh, uh, the, solid, the the not the clumping type, but the other kind.
2: The spreading type?
6: Yeah. Well, I kind of like to get rid of that now. <laughs> so w- what do I got to do? Do I got to get a bulldozer?
2: Or? You mean as far as getting rid of the liriope?
6: Yeah.
2: Oh, no. I mean, that's an herbaceous plant. Uh, just regular Roundup will kill that. Not this time of year. You got to wait until they start actively growing again, because herbicides become really ineffective as the days get shorter and the temperatures drop down, because the plants are not absorbing, you know, the nutrients like they would either through the foliage or through the root system. So when things start warming up in the springtime, uh, I probably wouldn't do it until we. You know, again, there's no way to know what the temperatures are going to be like. But after mid-April through mid to mid-May, early June, that's probably when I do any kind of application of an herbicide. The other now, thing would, you you, use a,
6: would you use a spray or would you use some kind of a, a dry?
2: Spray? I prefer sprays. You do? Yeah. That's just, you know, my, it's just the dry stuff, the granular type stuff, you put it down, then you have to water it to make it dissolve so it becomes effective so why not just put today. it down you know wet in the first place
6: okay all right well that, that answers my question and then, uh, then i have one other question sure. um i've got these crepe myrtles they're all lost their leaves and everything and i want to take about the top 20 percent off can i do that
2: now oh. oh yeah you can do it now you can do it all the way from this point forward all the way up until the new growth in other words the foliage starts emerging in the springtime which is probably going to be about the same time i was talking about the herbicides being effective so sometime in you know after first of april you got uh, probably not going to have any foliage coming out even right then but a couple of weeks after that by the first of may you should see foliage so you've really got about five or six months to get it done Will that affect the flowering? No, not at all. Because anything that blooms in the summertime blooms on new wood. And new wood means growth that happens that springtime. So, Uh in other words, plants that bloom in the spring, now they bloom on old wood. So, in other words, like forsythia and spireas and dogwoods and things along that line, their buds are already set. So they're ready to go. But the things that bloom in the summer, like butterfly bushes, crepe myrtles, and plants along, the, you know, and that sort of genre, they push out new growth in the springtime. And that growth is where the flower buds are going to be.
6: Well, all right. Mike, thanks an awful lot. And listen, I really enjoy your show and I appreciate uh, your advice. Well, You're thanks. usually right on the target.
2: <laughs> well, sometimes not. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Well, you have a wonderful day. Try to stay You don't have your shorts on today, do you?
2: I wear shorts year round. I don't care how cold it is.
6: Oh god, I'd like to see what your wardrobe looks like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> About 50 pairs of shorts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a great day. Well, thanks. You know, I, Bye. You know, I just uh the reason why I do the short thing is because our shorts is because I hate winter. It is the most I don't want to say ugly or boring or cold or whatever it happens to be. So I decided about 15 or 20 years ago that I'm going to just deny there's winter, regardless of how cold it is. And the only way I could realistically do it was to wear shorts. So I do have, you know, I have sport, (laughs) I have shoes on that, you know, rubber shoes on and stuff like that when it rains. So I'm not foolish from that standpoint. But and I do wear coats and scarves and gloves and all that other. But my legs, I force them to sort of experience the weather no matter how it is. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you do have strawberries, this is a time of year where you should get your strawberries mulched. And you can use straw if you'd like. I mean, that's the sort of the standard one. And uh, just kind of cover, you know, cover your strawberry patch just lightly with a straw. So that's basically all you really need to do because strawberries are perennial plants. They just keep going and going and going. So that's the great thing about strawberries. The bad thing about strawberries is they keep going and going and going as far as, like, spreading. So sometimes if you're trying to keep it confined to a certain space, it might be better to put it in a raised bed circumstance with some kind of physical edger around it. So if they start cascading over the edge, then consequently you can, you know, cut them off pretty easy and keep them under control. So let's head over to Dave's yard. Dave, how are you today?
7: Good. How are you today? Very good. Hey, uh, two questions. One about hydrangea, and uh, I've had people tell me to uh, take the old wood off, and other people that say not to. Uh, Could you clarify that a little?
2: Well, there's all kinds of different hydrangeas. There's ones the PG hydrangea, blooms in the summer t- or in the springtime. There's summer bloomers, the oak leaf hydrangea. So to clump them all together, it's, you know, it's a little bit tough to do. But generally my recommendation with the hydrangeas are if the f- if the stems coming up whether they flower or not, as long as they have leaves on them, then that stem is as good as it possibly can be. Cutting it down is not going to make it so you're going to get flowers on the other stems or anything else. So I say minimize pruning on hydrangeas just overall.
7: Okay. And then uh, regarding zoysia, I remember back in the day uh, my older neighbor would burn his zoysia. And I know there's ordinances about that. But as far as the benefit to the grass, uh, is there any?
2: Uh, there actually is. But what that benefit is, if you just rake your lawn you're getting the thatch. So what the burning did, it got rid of the thatch. And the thatch becomes problematic, you know, in zoisa in particular because of the it's a warm season grass. So it's active growth and everything else is in the summertime our most active growth. And so consequently in the summertime if you have a thick layer of thatch in there, it can cause the crown some trouble from a on moisture standpoint and other you know factors related to moisture more so than anything else. So as long as you keep the thatch out, then the burning is not necessary.
7: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Love your show.
2: Certainly, and thank you. Mike Miller KMRS Garden Hotline if you have questions, concerns or comments 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Once again, Mike Miller on KMox.
2: Alright, rock on. Rainwater, rain music, and let's head over to Donald's yard. Hi, Donald.
8: Yes, hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a couple of bushes. I just call them fire red bushes. Okay. Perhaps you know what I'm referring
2: to. Yeah, burning bush, you want a
8: <laughs> Yes, sir. Right. I have two of them that are getting quite out of hand. Uh, when can I trim them back and how much can I trim off of them?
2: Well, I know people that prune a huge amount off of them, but I never recommend that. Uh, I mean, even the dwarf burning bush still gets, you know, eight feet high and eight feet wide, potentially. And the standard one gets a couple feet bigger and wider. But uh, you can prune them because you're basically, you know, all the way up until the new growth begins from a foliage standpoint in the springtime. So you got pretty much all winter long to do the pruning because the, the fly, they do flower, but the flower you don't even notice. You're really, you know, growing them for the two weeks of nice red fall color that's going to happen uh, months away. But don't the reason why I don't want to cut them back severely is because you cut them back too severely, you're going to have less foliage, less leaves, and then consequently you're going to have less red next fall.
8: Okay, well, if I cut them back at least two feet, is that too
2: much? Uh, Generally, I like to say I don't like to cut half of them off, but any place between like 20 and 30% off, that's fine.
8: Okay, and I can cut it any time between now and probably next March.
2: Uh, Exactly. Okay, thanks for your help. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry.
4: Hello, Mike. Um, I wanted to uh, comment on the. Zoysia Collar with the thatch and burning of the thatch. Okay. Um, one thing you can do, and what I do, my expensive Zoysia grass, is um, I do a power rake every year. power rake. And you run this thing over your lawn, and it's about oh, an inch or two of the thatch on top, take the power back, and suck it all up. Right. A nice job. That sounds perfect. Um, you know, that's a little better than I think, than burning it with all the too.
2: Oh, yeah, and, I mean, on the Missouri side, you can't burn. On Illinois side, you can still burn, so that's not even right. an option. Well, maybe if you get, you know, in the southern, some of the more rural counties, you can. But in St. Charles, St. Louis, I don't think in Jefferson County you can. So over here in the city of St. Louis, I know you can't. So well,
4: then you got the unsightly, you know, black lawn.
2: Right, you know. exactly, all winter long.
4: <laughs> um, and then the grass takes off real good when you do it in the spring, you know, it got all the thatch out of there and that's is what it really takes off.
2: That sounds perfect. You got a good system.
4: All right, thanks
5: a lot, Mike. Certainly.
2: Yeah, that getting rid of the thatch, you know, I have a relative. I live in the city, so I have a relatively small yard, so I don't power rake or anything. I just use a regular leaf rake. And I just, uh, I, I get a lot of thatch. There's no getting around it. But uh, And also, uh, I have a mulching mower and some, you know, even that, and it's, it's a great, you know, great system, great machine and everything else. But still, those pieces become thatch. Thatch is just, you know, there is some thatch related to grass clippings, but the majority of thatch in your yard in your lawn in zoysia is like just dead grass blades, the zoysia blades, as opposed to other types of debris. So let's head over to uh, Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Dennis lives in Chesterfield.
8: Hi, Mike. Hey, i got two questions. Uh, if for evergreens and pine trees, I heard that in the spring of the year you would take some Epsom salt and distribute it around the weepings. Is that, have you ever heard of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, you can certainly do that.
8: And what is the
2: benefit of it? Uh, It's just, it's sort of, it's nutrient-related, it's chemistry-related, let's put it that way. It's to improve the soil chemistry so the plant will, you know, be a little bit more vigorous, better color and everything else. Not vigorous from a growth standpoint, vigorous from a health standpoint.
8: Okay, good. Second question, uh, uh, here in Chesterfield, they are uh, wrapping their uh, young trees for the winter. And uh, benefit of that is if I had some young trees, would, would you think about wrapping the, the trunks?
2: Basically, they're wrapping them. What that does is because even when you're getting trees out of a nursery, usually you'll see some kind of orange dot that was painted on the trunk. And that's usually depending upon, I would talk to the nursery staff and say, what direction is that related to? Because usually that's the way that paints, you know, faces towards the south or the north or whatever. And you want to orient that dot to the same direction. Because if you don't, and if you don't get trees with the painted dot on the trunk, then wrapping the tree just prevents uh, sunburn. And especially during the wintertime, and especially on young trees, because Let's say the side that's facing south, which is the most intense sun, definitely in the wintertime, even though the sun and the temperatures are not all that tremendous or anything else, but in the summertime too, and so then that just splits the bark. So that's why they're wrapping them to prevent the bark from splitting as a result of sun striking the trunks. Good. Thank you so much, Mike. Certainly my pleasure. And now let's head over to Sandy's. Hi, Sandy. Hello. Hi. Hi. I had a question for you. Okay.
9: Uh, last summer, the um, yard worker fellas put out uh, too much fertilizer near my flower garden, and they just these flowers just burned up. Ooh. They were just crunchy and brown, and they're peonies and a stargazer lily, which is beautiful. Right. And um, it it just burned them up, and that was in eighteen, the summer of eighteen. So now this summer, they. They, uh, one of them didn't even survive at all, and the two of them just came out and tried to bloom, and then they crunched up and dried up again. So what can I do to, to help that soil in there to get my flowers back, and will the bulbs be all right?
2: Uh, it's, tough to, you know, it's tough to say. I don't know what kind of fertilizer or how much they put down that would actually burn all the way down into the soil that would kill plants. I mean, and what type of fertilizer did they use? That is... A, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of a very strange and weird circumstance. So hopefully are well, not... Well, it
9: was a windy day. That's what we thought later. The wind was pretty bad that day. So it must have blown... You know, they walk around with some kind of a little cart that either fertilizes or kills certain kinds of weeds at different Right. But still, wind
2: year. is not going to blow grain or type things. Wind could cause drift of sprays, but uh, I don't... You know, that's kind of nuts. I'm not, I'm not sure you can really do anything to the soil to make your plant material recover. It sounds like to me that it's already sort of headed in a decline. The one the one peony that didn't come back or whatever at all, obviously that's dead. If the other one sort of struggled, that means its root system has been, you know, let's say the root mass has been greatly reduced and then consequently it may just be on the downs, just a slower, let's say downhill slide.
9: So it's never going to come back in that area?
2: Well, it may not. I mean, there's just no way to tell. There's no way to guess. And the best thing that could happen would be rain, 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 because that's going to leach whatever they put down, you know, down through the soil past the root system of your plant material. So we've had Mm -hmm. a lot of rain in the last couple days or whatever. But that's Well, this
9: has been over a year now. Yeah. Two summers.
2: So that's, you know, that's like severe damage to the root systems. And we've had, in this spring of this year, we had a great amount of rainfall. And so consequently, like I said, that's what leaches the nutrients past the plant's root systems. And so if anything's going to minimize or get, let's say, the abundance of bad aspects of the fertilizer past the plant so it doesn't do any more damage to the plant root systems, rainfall is probably the best thing as opposed to being putting... Or trying to put something down and neutralize it.
9: You know, it might have been a certain type of weed killer, that pre-emergent or something. Don't they do something where they...
2: Well, pre-emergence uh, I, only kills seeds that germinate. So things like peonies don't come back from seed. They come back from the root system.
9: Right, right. Hmm. What about lime? Doesn't lime have some kind of a cleansing property?
2: Well, lime changes the soil pH. So in other words, that changes, it makes your ground saltier as opposed to uh, more of, let's say, acidic vinegar-like soil. So if they put too much lime down and got it to where the pH is really high, so maybe you should get us, before you find you know do anything, is maybe get a soil sample done and find out what the soil pH is, find out what the nutrient level is, and just get, to, rather than just trying to guess and just shotgun and you know, get it back so you can have some decent plant material.
9: So how deep do you have to go to take one of those into a, a
2: nursery? Uh, nurseries won't take them. Uh, You've got to take it to University of Missouri Extension Service. There's an office in Kirkwood. You, ta- you just go online It'll or go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website. It'll tell you exactly how to take, a, you know, soil samples to get the test done.
9: Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. I like your show.
2: Well, thank you f- for having me on thank your you. show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving, nice and peaceful and relaxing and everything else. And then, you know, during the day, I mean, whoa, it's just kind of (laughs) nice. Alex and I were just talking. Sometimes families can get together in those kind of circumstances and things get totally wild and crazy and out of control. Other times it can be very mellow and easy but sometimes it's just like, are you sure we're related? <laughs> anyway, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. One thing, uh, in the wintertime, you can get some scorch and burn on plants like liriope, the gentleman that called earlier about the spreading liriope that he wanted to get rid of. But... Uh, What you can do is just set your mower really high and just mow over the top of some of the ground covers, and that will minimize the amount of winter damage that is done. The winter damage, if it's strong and healthy ground cover, whether doesn't matter what type it is, really is aesthetic more so than anything else. So by mowing it with a high-setting blade, then you're just kind of minimizing the amount of, let's say, aesthetic problems that you're going to have as a result of that. So let's go over to Matt Shard now. Hi Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning.
5: I have I have some potted plants. They're perennials. They're on. They're outgrowing my patio. Um, I identified them as a uh, sedum autumn joy. It's mm-hmm. also called a stone crop. Uh, I've I've had them for over a decade, so I, I I'm hopeful that I can keep them alive. And I found a family member who uh, is going to let me plant them in. Their yard, so any advice on the right time to plant them or how to keep them alive?
2: Uh, they're probably pretty tough. You might be able to even get them planted in the, you know, in the location once the ground dries, you know even this year. But what you probably the best thing to do is without knowing what the weather's going to be like or anything else, is just wait until we come out of wintertime sometime after Valentine's Day and do the installation then. Just make sure that they have a very well-drained area and they're in full sun. They can survive in a part sun's location, but to get the most robust growth out of them, full sun is really needed for any of the sedum varieties. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. So, again, you could try to do it, uh, but if you want to be safe because you've had them alive in you know pots for all these years, I'd hate to, for you to pull them out of the pots, stick them in the ground. The root system doesn't get established. We get a really severe wintertime cold, and it kills them. So that's why I'd say patience is better. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning. Hi.
10: Hi. Amaryllis plants. I had three beautiful ones blooming last year. I kept them over the summer. They have tons of roots, but nothing looks like it's coming out from the bulb.
2: It's probably a little bit early. Okay, great. Super. I'm assuming they had foliage and everything during the summertime? Absolutely. Okay, and have you cut the foliage off? Yes, I did. Okay, so it's just a matter of time.
10: Okay and uh, fertilizing now wait till they bloom. Uh, yeah
2: wait till they start wait till you start to see that flower you know bud coming up out of the bulb Then you can start fertilizing but whatever fertilizer you use just do it half label rate.
10: Thank you very much. Certainly. I love yeah. your show
2: Well thank you for having me on your show And then also with that related to that uh, fertilizing maybe once every f- month or so then once they finish flowering then you can stop the fertilizer. All right. Thank you. Sure. And Ron Lee, Ron lives in Breeze, Illinois. Hi, Ron. Hello, Mike. Hi.
9: Hi. Uh, you told me a couple of years ago that uh, cutting back my mums in the spring would be better than in the fall. Right. And you were right. Uh, they bloom uh, for about four or five weeks longer in the summer that way, but. Should I do that with my daylilies too? That is cut them back in the spring rather
2: than now? No. With the daylilies it doesn't matter. With the mums, because they bloom later in the season, the reason why you want to leave those stalks and stems and everything, it helps protect the crown of the plant through the for the winter time. So that's the real advantage of that is you know wait just waiting till you know springtime to cut them back. But with daylilies, they could care less. Okay. Well with
9: the mums there was a I got about five weeks or so more blooming uh, by leaving them until the sp- it, until the spring.
2: Yeah, it may have been related to that, but also with any of this, uh, it, you got to make sure with the fertilizing. So I'm sure you do a good fertilizing with them too.
9: Yeah, I never have done that.
2: Really? You- All right. You got some great soil then.
9: I guess I do. Okay. Well, thank you very much.
2: Certainly, my pleasure. So, if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, three one four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm going to go back to the weed circumstance because we have so many weeds and the annual cool season weeds, uh, they're out there. I mean, even if you're even if you really loyal to getting rid of them with a pre-emergent, post-emergent or anything else, they still have a tendency to come back and kind of haunt you a little bit. I was looking around in the backyard the other day. I thought, oh, now what are you doing here? So what I found there is I actually found some Persian speedwell, and that's just one of the cool season annual weeds. Annual mean that basically they, when they grow, they'll start, they'll produce flowers, they'll drop the seed, and the seed will just lay there until the germination time. And with the cool season weeds, they germinate basically mid to late August. So that would be the time right prior to that is when you'd put the pre-emergent down. And again, a pre-emergent creates a chemical barrier on the surface, and then when the seed germinates, it kills that brand-new, young seedling. So that's what pre-emergents basically do. Let's head over to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave.
7: Hi, Mike. A couple questions. One about bagworms. Uh, Do you pull those off, or is there a best time and way to take care of them chemically?
2: Chemically, the only time you can do it is watch whatever they're growing on very closely when the eggs hatch, they'll be like miniature bagworms running along the top of the stems. That's the only time there's an effective control with the bagworms is when they're very young, recent hatchings. To spray just the bags, no no chemical, no insecticide can penetrate that bag, and there's just eggs in there anyway.
7: Okay. Uh, and is there a, a certain time of year that they hatch?
2: Yeah, in the springtime. I mean, okay. Okay. It's just very difficult you know, to know exposure and everything else when that's going to happen. So you just kind of, once we start the weather starts warming up, just you know, start watching, I don't want to say every day, but every couple days at least. And when they're crawl, they'll be about a quarter to a half inch long. That's the only time an insecticide is going to be effective.
7: Okay. And then uh, regarding bamboo, I realize there's different types, but is there a standard way of uh, getting rid of bamboo or culling it back? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Basically, if it's like golden groove, I mean, there are clump-type bamboos, which you don't really need to control because they, the clump will get bigger, yes. But the ones that have the underground rhizomes and stuff like that, they are very, very difficult to control other than going after them in the early spring with a type of roundup for killing woody plants right when, the let's say, new shoots come up out of the ground, just starts you know going after them at that time. The existing okay. canes, that's very difficult to control other than digging.
7: So those new shoots are real tender. Do you actually pull those off and put the Roundup in the hole or just put no, it right no, on just the spray,
2: shoot? No, no, just spray the Roundup onto the shoot or paint Perfect. it. If, you, if you're worried about drift and everything else, just take the yep. Roundup and make sure it's Roundup that says killing you know, poison ivy woody plant material.
7: Thank you so much.
2: Certainly. My pleasure. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and my... Uh, Yeah, my father I've told this story plenty of times I'll try to tell it quickly golden groove I dug up from the Japanese garden when I worked there took it out to my parents house in Ellisville planted it and it turned into a huge bamboo grove my mother loved it because it related to the birds my father hated it so every day for Father's Day or every year for Father's Day I would be digging up bamboo out of the backyard anyway Mike Miller KMR's Garden Hotline back after these messages
1: KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour. And I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And before Mr. Kelly gets out of here. Now, we've had a lot of rain. And, yes, I mean, it has caused some problems, but can you imagine if it was like 20 degrees colder, how much snow there would be as a result of all this rain? It'd, It'd be pretty. Frightening, frightening
3: <laughs> pretty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll go
3: with pretty and pretty frightening. How's that?
2: So do you have a four-wheel drive so you can make it to work?
3: No, just front wheel, but it works pretty well. Really? Yeah, we get around okay. I haven't had, uh, knock on wood, too many problems. And we live up a steep hill because we live at the top of the bluffs. Ah. But boy, they take care of that hill. I've been there 21 years and I've had rare problems. Never been able to not get home. They use cinders and they plow a lot. And our house is the last house in our road district. So they come to our driveway, push everything past it, then back up and turn back. So, oh, yeah, that's painful. just barely made it. But yeah, <laughs> fortunately, haven't had too many problems. Right.
2: Yeah. Glad to hear it.
3: So, now, you're in the city. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you have problems when it snows?
2: Well, I mean, they only do major streets. Right. So. You just have to go slow yeah, exactly. <laughs> until you get to that major street. Then you can go really fast.
3: Yeah, and uh, then wind up on the news. Right, exactly. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> yes, folks, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We are here to discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all around related to the annuals, to your bulbs, to the edibles, to ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I like sharing my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take to get success, but strictly offered to you to consider. And across the big board, Alex is producing today. So when you call, Alex just needs your name and where you're calling from. That's pretty much it. And then he'll put it up on the computer screen, and then I'll see your name and where you're calling from. And, uh During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting when the weather is better, Uh, but anyway, and not too cold. Uh, I come to your house, and we can discuss uh, what might happen from an aesthetic standpoint, problem solving, and everything else. Sometimes people say, you know, they'll call me, we have an appointment set up, and they say, well, it's really raining. But a lot of times, me going to your house during a rain circumstance really can kind of open up a certain, you know my eyes to well the problem related to way down there even though it's not close to that is rain you know running down through this that and everything else so anyway you can go to my website MikeMillerDesigns.com, and my homepage email and phone number is right there you can contact me I'll come to your home and share 40 plus years of experience related to landscape design, plants, care, and maintenance. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. I know, oh, sorry. I know that you know that there was plenty of wind a few days ago, and the wind blew a huge amount of leaves up out of the park. And onto the streets and so a tip of the trial goes out to the city street department they have a machine which is kind of a giant I guess it's a mower type thing it's got a huge deck on it and what they do is they have they pull it with a truck that looks like a truck where they where chippers you know would throw the chips up into the, the truck but this is strictly to get leaves off the street And this big, massive thing that looks like a big mower deck is called mulch master. So they had to go up and down our street a couple times because the leaves were so intensely thick. It was just unbelievable. And uh, they did it. So a tip of the trial goes out to the city street department for doing that. And that was on a day. They do that a day, and they, they run this mulch master machine first. Then they come back to kind of get the cleanup uh, by the street sweepers. So it was really quite the ordeal. Another tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden, but more so the uh, Sophia M. Sachs Butterfly House in Chesterfield. And that's one of the places that the Botanical Garden is in charge of. So if you're interested, December 13th, 14th, and 15th, and December 20th, 21st, and 22nd, you can go to the Butterfly House from 5:30 to 7:30 and have supper with Santa, and so, wow! Before making that big trip around the world, come and sort of sit there and have Santa and great memories and everything else. Joy, enjoy a delicious pasta dinner provided by you know professional companies. You get to play around with the butterflies at the same time. Santa's workshop stations offer children a chance to make fun fun crafts and play reindeer games. And then after dinner, you can enjoy cookies and hot cocoa with Mrs. Claus. So again, December 13th, 14th, and 15th, and December 20th, 21st, and 22nd, Supper with Santa at the Butterfly House in Faust Park. So they get a tip of the trowel. So if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's get a call or two in before we take a break. Let's go over to Walt's house. Hi, Walt.
11: Yeah, Mike. Yes. Uh, I got a strip of daylilies 90 by 10 foot uh, and grass is growing in. And I tried pulling the grass out and it just comes back like gangbusters. (laughs)
2: Yeah, if you're not getting the entire root system out, you probably have a bluegrass type or a zoysia type grass because they send rhizomes, and so that is a, a very very difficult you know situation because the daylilies are in the grass family because they have those blades, so you can't really put a grass killer on them. I would say yeah. I know this is a huge area and everything else. If this is a really a serious problem that you're very concerned with, probably let's say corded off you know a ten by ten area. And pull the daylilies out, kill the grass in that spot, the daylilies you pull out, either you know, put them in pots and grow them in pots for a full season or a full year, and then plant no. them back in the same space. But there's not really anything that I know that will officially be able to look at or to, let's say, control grass when it's in a situation where it's in other grass family members.
11: Yeah, about a 10-foot section is about like I handle at a time. Right.
2: So it's better off to do a small section at a time to do, rather than trying to do the whole thing at once.
11: Do yeah, you recommend any particular grass killer?
2: I uh, know, just any kind of grass killer. Once you get the daylilies out of there, you'll know, put, p- put a piece of cardboard or something to protect the daylilies that, st- that still remain from drift or anything else or just, you know, and just depending upon what kind of grass this is, you know, you may have to go after it for a couple years in a row, as as tragic as that sounds.
11: Yeah, it's got a lot of roots to it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you.
2: <laughs> I wish I had some sort of magic incantation or formula.
11: Like that leaf
2: collector. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the mulch master. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And let's give one more call before we go to break. Let's go to Doug, and Doug's in St. Charles. Hi, Doug.
8: Yes, we have some amaryllis bulbs that we always winter over in our garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bloom beautiful during the spring, during the early part of the year. Can I get them to bloom again inside the house?
2: Uh, twice a year sometimes, yes. And it just depends upon the health of the bulb and everything else. So once they finish blooming in the spring, then you just leave them outside. They grow the nice foliage and everything. Have you brought them – have you cut the foliage off?
8: Yes, the foliage has been cut
2: off. Okay. So just bring them inside, no water, no nothing. Leave them alone for about 60 days or so, and then see – then go ahead and start watering and see if you can get the flower bud to start shooting up from the bulb.
8: Uh, approximately two to three months before we could get anything out of them.
2: Right, because they got to go through that rest, you know, a rest period.
8: Okay, so so I can't have any for Christmas On Okay, all right, <laughs> thank you very much.
2: <laughs> for Christmas, no. Yeah, you can just go to a store and buy some.
8: <laughs> That's what my wife's wanting to do.
2: <laughs> okay,
8: thank you very much.
2: But yeah, even if you buy them, most of them ones in the store are not budded, so it's going to take a couple months before they're actually going to send a flower bud up. So it's not going to be like you're going to just go and buy amaryllis and bloom. So, I mean, it's going to be – it's an involved process, no getting I have
8: done this before, and we have had them uh, bloom in the wintertime in the house. Right. I mean, they're fantastic, huge flowers.
2: Yeah, I mean, they can be – it's just the whole process of getting them ready to bloom, that's where, you know, you're kind of late to be able to get them to bloom relatively soon. Okay, thank you. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, one thing you know, related to the rain, the rain can be problematic for lots of different reasons, but uh, you know, kind of stay off your yard as much as possible because when the ground is soft like this, I mean, just walking back and forth in the same, let's say, area five or six different times, you can really kind of compress the soil, and that could cause problems. And then in the springtime, you're going to wonder, why does the grass look so thin in this area? Well, it's because when it was super wet, you were walking on it. So just realize that. Keep equipment off of it. And the worst thing this time of year when we have these kind of rains is the holiday, holiday decorations. And, I mean, some people have already got their decorations up, which is great. And some of them, you know, a lot of them are not up yet. So you just watch out, you know, with ladders and everything else. And with the inflatable, let's say, Santas and reindeers and everything else, when they collapse in the morning time, because you don't keep them inflated all day long and all night long, where they lay can really create a very huge fungus problem due to the moisture because of the plastic of the inflatable. So keep all those kind of things in mind. Let's head over to Nancy's yard. Nancy, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hello. Yes, go ahead.
12: Yeah, many times I've tried to take uh, basil, which I has rooted in a glass of water in my kitchen, and tried to pot it up and make new pot uh, plants from it, but they all, it always dies. What am I doing wrong?
2: Basically, that's. I mean, the fact that you got roots on it, you probably only have a few roots and it doesn't have enough root system to support whatever kind of potential growth there might be. So, I mean, basil rooting basil in water is not a, a really a good way to do it. You're better off just to get seed. Okay, thank you. Sure. Bye. I mean, uh, the, the basil of rooting, I you know, I've never really tried it myself, but uh, you know, I'm if again, for anything that you root in water, you have to have a substantial amount of roots before you put it into any kind of you know any kind of potting mix. Let's head over to South City and go into Ray's yard. Hi, Ray. Hi,
5: Mike. Um, I have a question about azaleas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we've lived here for five years now, and the plants are already there. We have two sets of plants, but one to the left of our garage door and one to the right. And the first couple of years, they were growing fine, you know, dark green color on the leaves and that. Uh, but then the, about two years ago, we st- I started to notice on the left side, there's first the, the, a lighter color green, and then that are yellow, and the, the plants have died, it seems to be moving from the left to the right. So I don't know. I don't notice any other symptoms except the, the discoloration of the leaves, and eventually the plant dies. Then the right side of the, of the door, they're, they're still doing fine. So I don't know if it's something that's spreading or... Or, or or what?
2: No, it's not disease related. the The people that you bought the house from, they probably were taking care of the azaleas correctly. What it is is the the side that had the problems with the discoloration of the foliage and everything else. For whatever reason, the soil pH started to go more alkaline. So either uh-huh. you know the foundation, of the garage, or whatever it happens to be on that side is more dramatic. And it, once the pH gets higher, so in other words, gets saltier, then any kind of broadleaf evergreen, azaleas, rhododendrons, holly, any kind of you know plant like that will discolor as far as the foliage goes. So that's what's happened on that side. The fact that it hasn't had it happened on the opposite side just means the soil pH is not you know it's, let's say headed higher. Then, rather than lower or, you know, sustaining just, you know, an acidic circumstance. So if I were you, I would get to your favorite garden center and get something called iron sulfate and, you know, look at the label, follow the directions, and just sprinkle some iron sulfate around the azaleas that still look good.
6: Great. Thank you.
2: Yeah. And uh, ultimately what you might want to do, too, is besides doing that, is just get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants because that's going to have a lot of the nutrients, the sulfurs, and everything else, the irons that's needed too. And fertilizing them will help, but initially I would just go ahead and go after the soil with the iron sulfate. Now let's go over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary.
10: Hi, Mike. Um, I have a, uh, a, an orchid plant, and it has roots growing out everywhere. And right. they're long, maybe um, more than a foot long. Mm-hmm. Just wonder if I could just cut those off.
2: Well, it's not ideal to do that. That's just something because they naturally grow in the tropics, and they use those roots to hold on to whatever tree or whatever it happens to be they're growing. So you can cut them off. It's just not recommended to. Really? Yeah. Oh,
10: okay. All right. Thank you.
2: Yeah, it's just a, it's a health thing for the plant. And uh, like I said, they use those roots to grasp on to whatever they, you know whatever trunk or anything else they're growing on. When they
10: first started coming out, I thought that there would be blooms
2: on (laughs) them. Yeah, they trick you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've got one orchid. Probably mine are about uh, probably 10 or 12 inches. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they look pretty wild. They're really white, and they got, you know, some places they have joints in them. And I think, why isn't this breaking off at this point? But it just shows you how adaptable that root system is. Well, I see. All right, thanks. Certainly. And now over to Ruth's house. Hi, Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh,
13: uh, last year was my first experience of buying an amaryllis, mm-hmm. and it's still green with a long blade. Was I supposed to cut that off or something?
2: Yeah, you got to cut the blades off. In other words, you want to leave a stub of above the bulb about an inch or so.
13: And when should I have done that?
2: Uh, you could really do it now. I mean, there's. Oh, okay. In theory, you could. You you should do it if you want them to be blooming. And let's say around Christmas, which in theory is a difficult thing to make happen, but you would cut it off whenever, if you had it outside or whenever, let's say, we come out of uh, August into September around Labor Day or something like that, cut them off at that time.
13: Oh, okay. Mine's indoors, but that's good. I have another question about you always recommend potting mix rather than potting soil. Right. My potting mix dries out so fast.
2: Right. That's exactly what you want it to do. You want air to get down in there for the plant roots.
13: So if I'm watering a plant like every other day, that's normal?
2: Well, you don't have to do that that much. You know, unless you've got some plant that really wants to have a marshy, swampy environment, you know, a houseplant-wise, just let it go and just watch the inside of your pot. And when the potting mix gets dry enough, it'll start shrinking a little bit. And there'll be a gap between the potting mix and the inside of the pot. When it starts doing that and you start seeing that, then water it at that time.
13: I think by that time my 24-inch my poinsettia might be dead.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it probably won't be. <laughs> okay. I'll go try them. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the potting mixes you want well-drained. The thing with the potting soils is usually it's very heavy, very dense, and it keeps too much moisture for the root systems. So a lot of these plants, even though they're from tropics where it rains a lot and everything else, they're growing in soil that's very, very well drained. So the potting mix sort of like uh, emulates the same environment where the plant's history came from. So even though this particular poinsettia or whatever it happens to be, it wasn't grown naturally in that circumstance, its family history, its genetics were. So let's head to West County and go into uh, Joe's yard. Hi, Joe.
5: Hello, Mike. Uh, How do I go about transplanting irises?
2: Uh, Regular flag-type iris?
5: Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, they're they're purple. They're tall, you know, maybe um, two, three feet tall, two feet maybe.
2: Uh, Let's see. How big is a flower?
5: Uh, Maybe about, uh, oh, three or four inches.
2: Okay, because... What you know, the reason why I'm asking is because there's Siberian iris, there's Japanese iris, and then there's the traditional flags. And the flags are the ones that have the big tuberous, let's say, root systems. And so they're a little bit different as far as digging up and transplanting. That should be done in August with them. The other ones, the Siberian iris and the Japanese iris, they have really long blades, like uh, the size you're saying. You know, that it seems like you're talking about. They're just considered a perennial type plant, even though they're iris, and they could be done pretty much any time with all the rest of the perennials. So early in the spring, just as the new growth is beginning with those, or later on after they finish flowering, you can divide them and then transplant them as you know at that time. But with the flags, it seems like they do better if you do it, you know, let's say in. The August circumstance or August situation—they're the ones. Okay, that's...
5: that would be after they kind of turn a little yellow, and you move exactly, them Exactly right. Okay, and uh, there's also some uh, very beautiful deep purple ones. Now, they are look to be pretty, pretty similar to the flag type, which is I, I think you just described. But I don't know if that's are um, different. It's it's very. Beautiful, deep um, wine, or purple, I guess, not purple, not wine.
2: It's probably just a hybrid. So it's, you know, traditionally we always think of flags just being blue, but there are other colors, uh, you know, it's just not, you know, they're not, let's say, readily visible, or you can go to the botanical garden and see all kinds of classic flag colors. I mean, everything from a white to a pink to, you know, the color that you're describing.
5: Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, so maybe I should wait until um, next August or yeah, whenever. Right. I, uh, they...
2: And then any of the fans that come up that don't produce any flower buds that year, that previous, you know, May or whatever, then you, you, you don't even fool with them, to be honest. I mean, there's a lady who I always say that and there's a couple of people that call and say, well, they had some that didn't bloom for years and they still transplanted them. And then after a few more years, they finally bloomed again. But uh, that's generally not going to be the case.
5: I see. Well, I I have a a very large, uh, I don't know, maybe it's about uh, 8 foot uh, in diameter or not really a circle, but uh, of growth. At this point, it keeps expanding. Um, So I thought it would transplant some of them to another location. So uh, I guess I should wait until maybe... um, August or whenever, right? Yeah,
2: either that or early in the spring when the new growth begins, you could do it at that time, but the ideal time is in August, because if you do it in early spring, you're probably going to disrupt the flowering for that year.
5: I see. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it.
2: Certainly. My pleasure. If anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got some phone lines open. This is a time of year to take, you know, the leaves are falling off the trees. As I look out the windows here to the park that's on the north side of the Soldiers Memorial, actually between Soldiers Memorial and the big, you know, main branch of the St. Louis Public Library, the oak trees, they hang on to the leaves for a long, long time. But it's a good time, even though they have a lot of leaves on them, that you can really start to take a look at just the branching structure and everything else and maybe think about having, if you're not capable of doing it yourself, a tree service come out and do some, let's say, corrections as far as the pruning goes. Because some of these trees that I'm looking out at, they're big, large, mature trees, and they were initially, even though they're quite a few feet apart, were planted too close. So one of the trees is one-sided more so than the other one because of the amount of sunlight it gets. And the, making some corrections, you're not going to make it so the tree is going to be uniform all the way around, but uh, taking some of the branches away may make it so you can have uh, one of the trees healthier than, the, or healthier than what it could be with less branches slash foliage. So let's right, head over to Jerry's yard. Jerry, how are you?
14: Uh, Quite well. Um, Actually, two things. One, uh, your comments about the iris as having different varieties. Uh, I have some that actually bloom both in the spring and in, say, late October into November. Right. Right. Is that typical?
2: No, it's not typical. It's just, you know, certain years, certain plants, you know, they're going to do that. But no, that's not the usual type search, you know, situation for the iris just in general.
14: They do it every year. Really? So, yeah, so they've got three different versions: a yellow, a purple with a cream, and then a deep purple. And they're extremely fragrant. So, uh, the flowers are probably four inches when open.
2: And are they? Kind um, of, are the flowers kind of flat?
14: They've got that large. No.
2: No. So they're uh, the classic, let's say, a flag or iris look or iris. Correct. Look. Yeah. Correct. So this must be a hybrid for that's a re bloomer, but I'm not familiar with it myself.
14: Okay. In that case, what I, I would like to, uh, I guess it isn't propagating them, but split them. One's the, one would be the appropriate time.
2: Probably what I'd do is wait until springtime when the foliage starts emerging, and then okay. I would do it at that time. Okay. When the foliage is okay. like, you know, so you can see where the tubers and everything are. And then you right. know, dig up a pretty big clump and then decide when you've split them, make sure that the tuber, you know, the root, the ends are dry before you put it back in the ground.
14: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's not a problem. Um, on another note, uh, have three uh, uh, Norway, not uh, I think they're Norway spruces. Uh, been in the ground for about five years, Mm -hmm. uh, 12, 15, maybe 18 feet tall, uh, had been growing really well. All of a sudden, uh, one of the three ended up having what appears to be needle cast and has lost and turned Brown just in the past couple of weeks. Wow. Um, what's the remedy? (sighs)
2: To be honest, there really isn't any. So it had to be some kind of internal disease, you know, and hopefully one of those, you know, when you have a situation like that, I don't know how close these are together, but if the root system of the, let's say, dead or diseased one that got killed is over overlapping the other ones that are still healthy, it can transmit that, you know, vascular in, interior disease to the other ones. So just be really, really careful. I'm not hurting... I've not heard it getting the Norway spruces. Lots of the pines and other things are impacted by that, but that's the first, you know, circumstance I've heard with the Norway spruce doing that cuz I mean it they die a, very very quickly. Yes, it
14: uh it went within a couple of weeks.
2: Wow. Yeah, I mean. uh,
14: So what do we have to do to the ground at this point?
2: There's nothing you can really do. I mean, even getting that let's say you had the tree cut down, you had the stump ground out, the dead one, everything else, still the roots are, you know, lateral roots you can't get rid of all those, and that's where right. the, the real problem is. So there's is not there really any too much of a
14: or something to try to put down in the area.
2: Probably I what I would do is have a tree service come out and have them take a look at it and see if maybe they can inject, you know, something into the actually the healthy trees. To, you know, to sort of fight this disease. But a lot of times, nothing's really going to help. But uh, you could get, okay. have a tree service come out.
14: Is this time of year good for doing that sort of thing? Yes,
2: it's fine.
14: Okay. Okay. alrighty. I appreciate it. Thank Great. you very much.
2: Certainly. Yeah, it, that's a, a real disaster. Like I said, it usually happens with the pines. When I was at the Botanical Garden, we had a grove of three Austrian pines outside the Lehman Building. The Lehman Building was part of the area that I took care of along with the woodland garden. And we had one of the Austrian pines that just, I mean, just really like within, probably it wasn't quite as fast as what happened with this Norway spruce, but it was within two months, it died. I mean, it went boom, And then there was the other two, one of them, you know, started getting the disease and died. And then the third one was in the same, you know, same cluster and everything else, probably maybe 15 feet apart from the other two that died. It never did die. I'm not even... It may still be there. I don't think it is. But uh, you just don't know. It's just kind of a roll of the dice. So it's a very, very weird, weird world out there as far as plant material goes. So a lot of times it's... I don't want to say it's a guess, but in some ways it is. Taking care of your lawn this time of year, you're not going to be doing too much. But when the weather starts, let's say, clearing up, if you've got a cool season lawn, your fescues and bluegrasses... You want to keep mowing them if the grass blades are elongating because you don't want the, the blades to get really long because if they get too long and then we get rains like this, it's going to mat the blades down on top of each other and it's going to cause a winter fungus problem. Winter fungus problems are not deadly, not like the summer ones, but what it does is just weaken your lawn and it makes it so when summer rolls around, the propensity to have a disease problem that's going to be major death-wise is going to happen. So just you know, kind of keep that in mind. And again, I'm going to go back over the fact of anything that flowers from a shrub standpoint, in the summertime, you can prune virtually now from this point forward till springtime when the new growth begins. And the things that bloom in the spring, you can prune them, but you're just cutting off, let's say, the flower buds for next spring. So the forsythia, the dogwood, the spireas, all that kind of stuff, you know, the quince, anything, you just get, you know, you prune now and you're just reducing the amount of flowers. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We definitely have uh, some phone lines open, so if you have any questions or concerns, guess what? Uh we were at, uh, out, let's say, last weekend, and I was surprised at how many people were buying cut but live trees you know, at that time because that meant that they were going to be inside, I would assume, for quite a period of time. So maybe people have learned a trick that I don't know as far as how to keep your Christmas tree looking good. I mean, they are wrapped. They were going to be put on top of the cars and everything else, so they're going to be dehydrated on the way home. But uh, once you got them there, then you I mean, you put them in the, you know, the tree thing and whatever it happens to be and uh, to keep them moist and everything else. So they look good. But to get them that far ahead, I thought that is kind of crazy because that was, you know, several days before Thanksgiving even. And uh, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But uh, as I drive around or you know, walk around through the neighborhood, there are a lot of people that have their trees up now. It's a little hard to tell if these are live trees or artificial trees because and especially now with the quality of the artificial trees, as far as an aesthetic standpoint, they're really kind of unbelievable. But uh, anyway, let's head over to Joe's yard. Joe, uh, what's going on today? Joe, are you there?
11: I am
9: Oh, I'm here. Okay. Yes,
11: I didn't hear an answer. I okay. said good morning.
2: Oh, sorry. That was my fault.
11: Oh, no problem. I might, I know you have containers, uh pots as I do. I've got about 25 of them that I I run around my deck and my patio, but I don't change the soil every year. I put maybe a little a couple scoops of uh potting soil but do you compost yours every year?
2: Heavens, no.
6: <laughs> uh,
11: so,
2: okay. no, that's, a, that's way too much work. I have probably some. I so hear much, you. You know, what I do is probably I get some, you know, bag, you know, Miracle Grow potting mixer, whatever it happens to be. I get a couple bags every year. And then, when the, if I'm, the, I always have, let's say, spring bulbs in a lot of the pots. So, once they finish flowering, I don't save those bulbs. I just compost those and the the bulbs, but then I take about 10 or 15 or up to 20% of the potting mix out of those pots and put some new in, but I don't even do that every year, but definitely I don't you know I mean I always read these things that say you should dump your 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 potting mix Every year now, if I had a, a circumstance in one pot where it got some kind of major disease, I would dump that one for sure because the disease could be related to something that's down into the potting mix. But if they've done well, then I just leave them alone.
11: Good, I like that. <laughs> I, I don't want to change my my dirt all the time, but so good. I um, I will do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, now, do you
11: during? During the during the uh, summer season, or do you amend? I mean, do you put any fertilizer in every couple of weeks or so, like like a half half strength Miracle Grow?
2: Yeah, I do you know, consistently. So yeah, I mean, I'm fairly loyal at uh, what I do is I get the you know the powered Miracle Grow, and depending upon what type of plant, if I want you know the high bloom or this or that. And I mix it, uh, you know, the powder, I mix it into, you know, like a two-gallon bucket. And just probably every few weeks, I just do that. That's what I do as far as fertilizing
11: goes. Okay. That's, That's what I've been doing, too, so. So uh, I lucked into being almost as smart as Mike.
2: <laughs> You're going to take over the garden hotline, I can tell.
11: Oh, good, good Lord, no. <laughs> and speaking of that, I just wanted to tell you, as uh, as one of the owners of your program, I- I'm going to put you in for a raise.
2: Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> okay.
11: Thank you, Mike. Certainly.
2: And uh, let's go now to Nada. Nada. Nada, how are you today? Nada. Yes.
10: Yes, from Afton. Oh, great! Uh huh. Yeah, I, I I would like to know about Christmas cactus. It looks nice and, and that, but it doesn't bloom though.
2: Yeah, I had a lady that called last week, and she's you know hers looks great and everything else. Are you doing any fertilizing?
10: I have a, uh, African violets, and then I kind of put some time there. But do I need special something? for Yeah, I probably
2: get fertilizer for you know for you know, cactus. So there's uh-huh. a special fertilizer. It has a little bit of a different nutrient circumstance. But if the foliage is healthy, it's not overly wilted or anything else, you're doing everything just right. It's just the nutrients are not great. And definitely don't repot it. No,
10: it's, it's beautiful. And I really take care of it. But I'm looking for a blooms and nothing is there, it seems like. Yeah, so I
2: would, I would think that, you know, because it's probably been in the same potting mix for quite a while, which is good from that standpoint, but also yes. it might have a little bit uh, lacking of some of the nutrients to trigger the, the flowering aspects. Yes,
10: that's what my African violet, I have an African violet that my mom started 25 years oh, ago. Oh, my goodness. And I'm, you know, putting in the water, like I heard what you said, and I have them today.
2: All right. Perfect. For that many years. All right. And
10: you're great. I enjoy your program, and thank you so much for everything. Okay?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, bye. And now let's head out to Chesterfield in the Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi,
12: Mike. I'm a long-term listener. Um, One thing I do want to comment regarding the last lady, Mm
13: -hmm.
12: I thought I read some time ago that Christmas cactus were stimulated by cold because I routinely have found that mine never bloom. They're fairly close to a window, but after we have a cold spell, and I'm talking cold like in January then they start to bloom. That's my comment. I thought I read that. But I really called you because something has been bothering me. I know you like service berries, and I've been thinking of planting one. However, I also thought I read some time ago that the service berry was in the family of hawthorns and apples, and, they, and uh, hawthorns and apples get cedar rust. So, what do you know um, or tell me about the amelanchier and cedar rust?
2: Yeah, I mean cedar rust is something that could certainly happen, and it is in the same family, the apple family. But uh, it's just one of those things that I guess you kind of take a chance with. I grew okay. them for years. I had a you know a home at that time in Webster. And I, there was actually junipers in the neighborhood. I never got the cedar apple rust on the foliage. Good. I never got the galls or anything else on the junipers in the neighborhood. So why that never happened, I don't know. And the, the, the cedars that really are problematic are the native cedars right. versus the ones that come from Japan. Right. So.
12: Well, then my other question is, how far away from a white oak could I plant this uh service
2: berry i would probably not put it under the drip line
12: okay all right well i appreciate the information and like i say i listen to you every week and
2: great and uh thank you so much well thanks for having me on your show i greatly appreciate it yeah i just and again you know the service berry i didn't i wasn't all that familiar with you know growing up i just we didn't have that many in ellisville or anything else or that I was even in the woods except I always knew there was something that was blooming and I knew it wasn't a dogwood and so it actually turned out to be a service berry but uh, my real first experience with it just came from this you know from when I was in the woodland garden at the botanical garden and now there there are junipers on the botanical garden. The woodland garden is right next to the Japanese garden, but the cedars that were in the Japanese garden at that time were Japanese cedars versus the ones that are native to the, you know, to you know, to the Midwest or to you know the United States or whatever it happens to be. But anyway, so I never saw, you know, any kind of cedar apple rust on the service berries, the crab apples, or anything else. But that was I've been to plenty of homes during my uh, walk and talks. You know, site visits where there has been, you know, the big galls on the junipers, which look like icky, you know, yellowish, spongy type things. And then I, you know, the foliage looks horrible on the, you know, the anybody that's in the apple family. So anyway, I hope everybody has a great day today. Hopefully the rain will stop and give you a chance to get out and do whatever you want to do, be it go someplace or just be sitting around the house and just enjoying. So Just take it easy, and uh, I will see you next week. And just watch those leaves as they fall.
0: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.